You don't have to go buy the new driver. You don't have to try the new swing tip. You don't have to switch the putter. Just focus on what you know you do best. Kind of block out all the other noise. Uh, and that's the beauty of golf, man. You have to put the tee in the ground. And then you're going to see who's better that specific day. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Par Train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I got my partner in crime, Matt Cermak, with me. What's up, Ev? It's great to be back. Did we just have fun? We just had a lot of fun. Did we just have I a fun ride? I think childhood, we did. Little childhood memory lane a little bit. Former NFL punter, Drew Butler. Pretty fun episode, guys. I think you're going to see a ton of parallels between kickers and, and golfers. And also, he's one hell of a member guest player. So make sure you stay to the end and listen to that. Before we get to this, if your golf game's off the rails and you're sick of riding that struggle bus, welcome aboard, guys. You come to the right place. We help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again. Because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We unpack the mental game. PJ Tour Pros, best-selling author, sports psychologist, NFL punters like today, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode of The Part Train is presented by our friends at Roback Activewear. And like we talked about on this show, we're about to play in our first tournament together. A little three-day, two-man best ball with True Links. In the desert, in Scottsdale. First time we're teammates. There's a buzz. And we're going to record. <laughs> we're going to try and record every round for our YouTube. So stay tuned for that. That'll be something we have to navigate too, because it's hard enough planning an event, but managing yeah. that tripod. getting. I mean, I'm shots. trying to make birdies. Have, you know, we really got to figure that one out, you know? Yeah. Um, Not doubles, but, as Drew would say. <laughs> but with playing as a team comes team outfits. And oh. what better place to go for a team outfit than rollback activewear? I think you're dead on Ev. I think the one dilemma we have is yeah, you're really is a tough. print, you're really a rollback print guy. And I'm, you know, really more kind of rollback solids and stripes. Not right. anti-print, you're not anti-solid stripes. But I think because rollback has such a variety, mm-hmm. you and I have kind of gone down different paths. We right? have. We may have to think but, about the colors, not so much the print. You know, I was so actually thinking style. that because we've got so much already, we might want to look at our, I'm going to FaceTime you later and I'm going to go through my closet and I'm going to say what color schemes of the print matches the color <laughs> scheme of your stripes. Or maybe we have a couple similar stripes. We'll see. I think it's going to be fun. And I bet we might see a lot of rowback down there too. Yeah, I bet so. So go to rowback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off or tap the link in our bio on Instagram at the par train. Tap that link, it'll auto apply in your cart 15% off. If you used it before, you've probably used that email. Do whatever you have to do. Do it. All right. This episode was super fun. We really dive into life and the mindset of an NFL punter. Drew was an NFL punter from 2012, 2016. You guys grew up together. Yep. I mean, just old family friends. Drew's all American punter at Georgia as well. His dad. Kevin Butthead Butler was kicker for the 85 Super Bowl champ Bears, Chicago Bears here in my hometown. And he kicked for 15, or no, he kicked for about 11 or 12 years in the league and was the leading scorer in Bears history. And so just great to see Drew and reconnect. And we've been following his, his career and always been a big golfer. And we found out, Ev, not only is he a great punter, he's a pretty darn good golfer too. Yeah, 2.9 index. Seems to make the horse race of every member guest he plays at, including yeah. Whisper Rock with a ton of former and current pro athletes. Some great and pro stories golfers. about, about great playing there. Great stories he told. <laughs> at Whisper Rock. So make sure you stay for that. 
Drew was a two-time All-American punter at Georgia High School State Champ. Led the nation in punting in the 2009 NCAA season. I think he led the NFL as well for um, punts inside the 20 one year. Yep. When he's on the Cardinals. And yeah, during the 2014 season. And so we had a ton of fun talking about the parallels between football and golf, specifically an individual position like kicking and punting. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this episode. If you do, give us a review at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It means the world. I want your guys' story to inspire others to get aboard the train. We love getting your messages. And give us a follow at The Part Train, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're growing fast. We're growing fierce. And uh, a lot of people have sent us messages recently that they love getting little bursts of inspiration throughout the day in between podcasts to keep you on track and help you enjoy the ride. So, well, on that topic, Ev, too, I would say Drew really, really pushes that. He's an inspiring guy, very passionate. And I think when we do another next LFG episode, we might be pulling some bits oh, yeah. from this one. So guys, you're going to love this. You're going to get inspired. Great stuff from Drew. So if you shank a shot in the horse race of a member guest, which by the way, Drew doesn't like us mentioning this, but he does. And we talk about it. If you shank a punt, if you're worried about what your opponents and even your teammate think, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride, guys. Take care. Drew Butler, welcome aboard the podcast, my man. We're excited to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for the invite, Evan and Matt. Great to reconnect with you. Good to see you guys. I've been following along the par train, and congrats on all the success. I really appreciate the invite. Good to see you, Drew. Thanks, my man. What would you say before we dive in here? I mean, you and Cermak haven't talked face-to-face since you were little kids. Anything that the listeners should know about little Cermak, the Cermak before the Cermak? His dad's my godfather, I believe, if that's correct. Yeah, so wow. uh, going yeah. way, way back, our our parents were friends in the Chicagoland area. My dad played for the Chicago Bears from 1985 to 1996. So uh, that's where I was born. That's where I grew up. And then when my dad was done playing, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, That was at the end of 1999. And I've essentially been here ever since. I went to the University of Georgia, played football there, and then I was in the NFL for five years. And when I got done, uh, I moved back to Atlanta with my wife at the time. And now we have three daughters here in Johns Creek. So it's been all good. I'm glad to be back home for sure. And on the Godfather topic, so Michael, my brother, his Godfather is your dad. There you go. So, yeah, so a lot of connections and, there for wow. sure. And and for the listeners, Kevin Butler, father of Drew, kicked for the '85 Bears Super Bowl champs. Incredible career with the Bears. Was the leading point scorer in the NFL, yep. right, Drew? Until Robbie Gold. Yep. Came came along. So heard of him. Kevin also nicknamed. What's his nickname, Drew? Butthead, affectionately. <laughs> Just, and when I say just... butthead, I mean we'll we'll be in Chicago at the end of June. Dad is now the it's the Kevin Butler Celebrity Invitational for Ace Hardware, and they support the Children's Hospital Networks at Medina. It should be awesome. Uh, dad has the honor of being the host celebrity. When you're in Chicago with my dad, I mean people just straight up call him butthead. Restaurants, yeah. bars, hey butthead, Delta Sky just... Club, yeah, like hey butthead, what's up? Like that, that's just what it is. So Chicago um, sports. Bears legend for for everybody out there. So, so Drew, I got to ask you to start off today. What is worse, 
shanking a golf ball in the horse race of a member guest or shanking a putt in the fourth quarter of a big game in the NFL? Yeah, that's a timely question. We made it into the shootout of our member member this past weekend, and I may or may not have shanked one. Um, oh, okay. It was it, it was in the hay in, in the tall in the tall fescue. You know, I I tried to tried to make a hero shot, and it obviously didn't go where I wanted it to. We made bogey, so it wasn't too disastrous. But you know, being in the moment as a kicker or as a golfer when it's crunch time, you like to not have to think about technique so much. I always said when you're in an NFL game and you have to get a punt off, it's less than two seconds from when the ball is snapped to when you kick it. So if you're thinking overly about your technique in a very small time period leading up to that kick, you're probably not set up for success. Now, can things happen to where you do shank it? Yeah, and that's never a good feeling because you let your teammates down, and oftentimes if you do shank a punt late in the fourth quarter, it could affect the outcome of the game. Golf's just so much different, though, because you have so much time in between shots. Depending on your pre-shot routine, you could be thinking about a million different things. But my advice in either of those moments would be have a trigger that to, that lets you kind of get after it and just keep it as simple as possible. Um, that, that always helped me out tremendously. So I will say, though, in a member guest, member, member, having a couple of cocktails – you can't do that in an NFL game. So that's that's probably a big differentiator there. Well, well, <laughs> Drew, what happened in the member member? It I mean, did we did we come we played back well, man? You know, we, we had it was, um, five nine hole matches. Teammate and I, we won our flight. Um, and we started off well. And I didn't want to say we faded, but we might have peaked a little bit too early. Heading into the shootout, we bogeyed the first hole. I didn't necessarily set him up for a lot of success there. Uh, we birdied the second hole. I made a putt, so that was good. And then on that final hole, a team birdied, great birdie. We made bogey. We didn't necessarily have a chance at birdie, so uh, we didn't get into the final, the championship shootout, but we've had good success in that format in years past, so hopefully we can keep it going. Now, okay. shanking out of tall fescue, that's rare, because usually in tall fescue, the toe of the club gets pulled down and it goes left. Yeah, yeah. How did so that ball this... go right? So I assume it's, you're uh, righty. I am a righty. We just opened up our renovated golf course. I'm at the Atlanta Athletic Club. Uh, the Riverside course just got renovated. It's now a par 71. So we have that new laid fescue. So it's not like knee-high tall. Got it. It's about ankle height. Was able to kind of get a pretty decent lie on it. And I kind of like scoop right underneath it. And it just freaking shot off right. So I was mm. like, that wasn't ideal. <laughs> Yes. Let's let's move on past that shank. Come yeah. on, guys. I've These got that out happen. of the memory bank. These so things far. happen. Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll dig into it a little bit more. But first, I got to know because speaking, we're going to do a lot of parallels here, and that's why we love this show. Right? Is bringing on different athletes and different disciplines, and pulling out nuggets that our listeners can use right for their game. And I was really curious, what's more important for an NFL punter? Because you've got almost like average distance off the tee, which is like yeah. punting average. And then you've also got, you know, strokes gained approach to the green, which is kind of like punts inside the 20. Yeah. What are more punters in the NFL known for and what do they focus more on? Is it more of being a bomber and field position and and getting the most out of your punts or is it being more precision and pinning opponents inside the 10 or the five? It's a great question. Um, I think probably the most interesting part about that question is, what does your team need, right? Like, how can you help the team out? How can you put them in good 
field position and situationally, if you can perform at a high level, I think that's a key differentiator for any punter in the NFL. Going back to, you know, in 2015, uh, when I was on the Arizona Cardinals, we were a really good football team. We went 13 and three. Uh, we won the NFC West. We made it to the NFC championship game. And our offense was elite that year. We mostly punted right around the gray area, which is between the 40 yard lines. So that doesn't give you a lot of field to work with. But hell, I'd go out there sometimes and maybe we weren't even trying a 55-yard field goal. And I would kick a 38-yard punt, land it inside the 20. Uh, maybe casual fans after the game would see that I averaged 42 yards and they'd go, this guy sucks, he can't kick a football. Meaning, Meanwhile, excuse me, I'm walking off the field getting high fives from my coaches, from my teammates, because I helped the team, right? Uh, that yep. year in 2014, tied for the lead in the NFL for punts inside the 20. And at the end of the year, you're looking back on wins and losses. And there's sometimes where you're like, wow, you know, you had four punts inside the 20, five punts inside the 20 in that game. Uh, that changes an opposing team's offensive game plan dramatically. I'm not necessarily, I was never known as being a big bomber as a punter, but those precision, the consistency and in, in performing situationally is probably the biggest thing for me. So it varies for different teams. When I was in college, I had a little bit more success. I had a higher average. That's because our offense wasn't that good. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you just have to kind of perform as to how the coaches and teammates need you to and, and ultimately put them in the best position possible. Is it all feel? Are punters actually able to create a certain spin so that it pops back or goes out of bounds yeah. at the right spot? Or is it all feel kind of like a long three, you know, in the NBA? Like walk me through that so that we can start to get into like, executional keys and feels and all that stuff. Yeah. I think if you look to some of the Australian punters that are in the NFL right now, they are so good at manipulating the football, getting it to do what they want. And if you think about just the differences of, of Americans growing up and Australians growing up, you know, if we're playing baseball or football, we're throwing and catching with our hands. We're learning how to put spin on it with our hands. But if you go to Australian rules football, they're literally kicking it to each other as if we were throwing it to each other. So the way they can manipulate the ball, not only in their hands when they're dropping it, but how they can kick it with their foot and get the specific type of spin, whether it's an end over end Australian style kick, whether it's the banana kick that you're starting to see some of these guys use, um, and then how they're able to adapt quickly and learn the more traditional American style of kicking where the ball's going to spiral and turn over. Uh, those guys have a, a huge advantage as to, you know, creating an arsenal of kicks that they can bust out on game day. You know, when yeah. I was playing in college, the Australian kick, which is the end over end kick that you use to maybe pin guys inside the 20, that was just starting to come along my last two years of college, uh, used it all throughout my career in the NFL. And the best thing about that one is the distance is somewhat limited. I mean, some of the bigger leg guys can probably kick 50 yarders, uh, punt 50 yard Australian style kicks. But the benefit of it is if it does bounce on the ground, it's usually going to bounce straight forward or straight back. So you'll see some of the gunners who are running down to, you know, get the ball inside the 20. They're, they're spotting the ball up in the air and they're lining themselves up directly behind it. When you kick more traditionally and that ball turns over, man, it can go kind of any direction. So they really got to be uh, on their toes to see where it goes. The control that you can get, um, from an accuracy standpoint, is much greater with the Australian style kicks. And then when you go to a traditional uh, 
American style punt where you're kicking a spiral and having it turn over, you know, depending on how you're dropping it at what height or how much the nose is being turned down to drive the ball more, whether into the wind or if you're trying to get some extra distance. Yeah. You see guys do it now at an extremely high level. And I always say, you know, the the punters who are in the league now are, are just so much better than even what they were five years ago. It's crazy how mm. advanced it's getting and and how talented these guys are. Sir, have you seen Aussie rules football before? Oh yeah. So real, real quick, funny story, just for our listeners to give context, Drew, when I was on a Ryder cup trip in Palm Springs one year, I think it was like July. It was a certain time of year where there was, we were in between kind of all the major sports. And so we'd come back from playing 27 holes in 105 degree heat. We'd turn on the TV and Aussie rules football would be on. Yeah. And it was one of the most entertaining weekends of sports I've ever seen. It's basically rugby, but with kicking, you know, Mm -hmm. the ball through um, the uprights and a lot more to that. But I went down a rabbit hole of like trying to find a team and I like followed the Sydney Swans for a little while. So anytime someone brings up Aussie rules football, my heart warms up a little bit, but just to give people context, if you haven't seen it, look up it, look it up on YouTube. It's incredibly entertaining. Yeah, it's great. You know, I, I had the opportunity to go to Australia years ago with my wife before we had kids, uh, and we got to go to an AFL game in Sydney. And it was crazy to learn that Sydney is more known for rugby, and then when you go to Melbourne, it's predominantly Aussie rules football. But there obviously are teams in Sydney that play in the AFL, and these guys, you know, they're tall. They're six four, six five. They've got long legs. They've grown up kicking the ball. That's why they're having so much success transitioning to American punters coming over here you know, to go to college, even when they're 25 years old, just starting. Uh, and they're having tons of success in the NFL, which has been cool to watch. Drew, I, I wanted to ask you before we start talking a little bit more about your your golf game, in terms of scouting as a punter, you think about like, you know, obviously your opponent, you think about the quarterback, you think about the offense and how they're going to scout and how they're going to prepare for that game. In 2015, you mentioned the Cardinals, you guys had a great offense. So mm-hmm. If you're playing against a team who's got a really weak defense, right? You're heavily favorited. You're going to be moving the ball. Those punts you were describing, those shorter punts, those, you know, those in-betweeners, are you practicing more of those types of punts prior to the game? Or do you kind of have a routine and sequence? You're practicing everything. How much do you stray away or how much do you really tweak the process to be ready? Yeah, great. Great question. You know, you're you're pretty in a routine throughout the season. You know, Wednesday's the work day in the NFL. Tuesday's your off day. So on Wednesday, you're doing uh, punt return and, and punt coverage. So you're out there and you're kind of working the entire field. You're doing a backed up situation and, and you're working on the schemes that you're seeing from the other team, right? The stunts that they've done. If they blocked a punt, how did they do that? What are their tendencies around that midfield area? Who's in there? Is there a speed guy on the end? So you're watching all that on film and then you're taking it to the practice field and the scout team is out there giving you the stunts and the rushes as to what you're going to expect on Sunday. And then Thursday is usually a field goal and a kickoff return day. So you're not punting. And then Friday is a situational day. So you're going to work on those punts inside the 20. You'll do a couple more backed up punts Um, and those punts inside the 20. That's getting a lot of work in with your gunners who are going to be down there trying to down the ball. And that's watching again, the tendencies of what the defense is going to be doing around that midfield area. Sometimes 
teams would leave their defensive linemen on the field if it was a punt safe scenario where they're not really expecting a fake. But these D linemen who are, you know, call it like a Von Miller or an Aaron Donald, they could bull rush your long snapper and that guy doesn't have a chance. You got to just be prepared for all those types of situations. But you'd always go through your routine and then you'd let the chips fall where they may because, you know, one week you'd have one punt, the next week you could have seven and you don't know at what point of the game they're going to be in. So uh, you just always have to be prepared and kind of getting into that routine helps you be able to take advantage of any situation that comes up on game day. That's great. Drew, one of my fondest memories as a kid, I don't know if you remember this. I, you probably were there. You have tons of memories of going onto Soldier Field with your dad and catching field goals. I remember yeah. one time I came and it was your dad, Todd Sauerbrunn, who was the punter for the Bears. Yeah. Yeah. I'm eight years old, seven, maybe just, it was probably 95. You're a year younger than me. And catching field goals, even as little athletic kids, we were able to give it a chance. Yeah. Catching a punt. Way and different. I mean, even if I if fast forward it, we've we been older and teenagers. It, I just remember it was like a bomb coming down, right? <laughs> and, and I remember the spins though. And Sauerbrunn was working on all kinds of you know he was simulating yeah. different snaps, right, and all those things. And but being on Soldier Field with your dad and Todd Sauerbrunn was. I've got two. <laughs> I got two good memories about that. Uh, one of my favorite memories when I was in the NFL was in 2015. I think it was the second or third week of the season. Uh, Arizona Cardinals played the Bears in Chicago, um, and the Bears were celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Super Bowl team. So Dad was on the field in his Bears jersey with all of his teammates while I'm yeah. out there warming up. Super cool. So cool. Whole family was there. David Johnson for the Cardinals ran back the opening kickoff, and I think we beat the Bears by like 35 points, which doesn't happen in the NFL. So that was a really fun day. The other thing you just brought up, catching a punt. I have a really funny story about this. So a couple of years ago, I got invited to the member guest at Whisper Rock Golf Club in Scottsdale. The coolest thing about Whisper Rock is just the amount of current tour players that are members there, current pro and former pro athletes that are members there, uh, the all-around vibe. I mean, everything you hear about Whisper Rock is 100% true. So in our flight, Brandon Stokely, the former wide receiver for the Colts and Broncos, awesome guy. So we're having a ton of fun. We're catching up after the round. And Derek Anderson, the former NFL quarterback, is sitting at the table with us. And some guy asked Stokely, obviously we're all having cocktails, hey, if Drew punted you 10 footballs, how many could you catch? And Stokely kind of, I don't know. I hadn't been working out, man. I hadn't caught a football in a while. I don't know, like six and I was like, Stoke, you could easily catch more than six punts. Across the room, some guy heard him say six and goes, I could catch seven, okay? This guy's not an athlete at all. Obviously, <laughs> this is late on a Saturday, so people are feeling pretty good. Derek Anderson looks at me and he goes, I'm bringing a football tomorrow. You're going to punt this guy footballs on the practice range. Are you down? I was like, yeah, of course I'm down. So after the shootout, everybody's still there hanging around. And of course, DA goes and gets his football. And he's like, Butler, you ready? I'm like, yeah, let's go. Uh, so Trent, the GM, the director of golf at Whisprock comes out to me. He's like, are you going to get yourself hurt? I'm like, absolutely not. He's like, all right, you know, handshake liability waiver, go have fun. So I start <laughs> kicking this guy, you know, and about the eighth one, he finally catches one. He's falling all over the place. <laughs> Guys are laughing their asses off. 
it was a sight to see. And then I woke up next morning, my foot was all red because I just took my shoe off. I was kicking it barefooted. Right. Man, we had so much fun. It was hilarious. To your point, though, Matt, punts are hard to catch. So be careful if you get yourself in a bar wager like that. Uh, not always easy. But only a place like Whisper Rock would you let you do that yeah. too, right? <laughs> it was, well, a, dude, it was <laughs> hilarious. It was, it was great for sure. Well, we're going to dig more into your member guests because it sounds like you've had a lot of success. But first, give us context. You're a 2.9, you said? or two, Yeah, 2.9 yeah, index. 2.9 index right now. Um, I'm a member at the Atlanta Athletic Club. Love it there. We got two awesome golf courses, a great membership. Um, David Toms. You know, yeah, David Toms won the PGA Championship there. Keegan Bradley won the PGA Championship there. We had the USAM in 2014, and the USAM comes back in 2030 for the 100th anniversary of the Bobby Jones grand slam. Um, so Maybe. that'll be really, really That's cool. Awesome. We have some so other nice USGA when you belong events. somewhere that has multiple courses or at least three nines, right? Well, you know, and now with just how popular golf is, especially in a suburban area like Atlanta, um, you know, memberships exploded. People love to play golf. So that's been great, but the handicaps ticked up. We had our third daughter in November of last year. I'm starting oh, to play 2. a little 9 bit more. Is ticked up. Yeah. Okay. You know, not to, I mean, I don't want to, you know, not to brag, not to <laughs> no, brag. No, let's just, let's call the shots. But now it's charity <laughs> golf season. So, uh, you know, those are always fun to go around and support and play some cool golf courses and meet some great people. Yeah. So best part of your game, worst part of your game. I like to think I'm a pretty good putter and I do the arm lock with the claw. Okay. Benardi? Oh, I do have a Bettinardi. Oh, and people think it's trendy. I have the original Matt Kuchar, Kuchar. Bettinardi that I got in 2014. So I've been doing this for almost 10 years now. OG. Wow. OG. Um, I mean, who I've started actually, it? Kuchar or Drew? Who knows? Yeah, there you go. So he he busted it out and I got it when I was in Arizona um, and I got to go up to the Bettinardi studio in Chicago. Uh, met Sam. Awesome guy. He's great. Super cool facility in Tinley yeah. Park. They got my dad a custom Bettinardi that is so sick that he still uses, um, and they touched up mine. So I love it. You know, six feet and in, I feel like I'm really good. And then the weakest part of my game, you know, right now, man, for whatever reason, I'm you know, and it kind of crept up this weekend. Like the sixty to hundred yard shot, I'm just trying to get it dialed in, man. Like I, I don't know if I'm catching it too clean or if I lay back on it, I'm losing it right, but. That 60 to 100 yard shot, you get it often in some of these tournament situations, depending on where they put these tees. And if you can dial that in from a from a yardage and distance perspective, you can really start to make a lot more birdies and pars rather than missing a green and then you know chasing a bogey. So I got to get that figured out soon for sure. Sure, I don't think the 60 yard shot gets any easier ever. No, no, it's, you're right. It's, it's certainly early in the season when you're a little rusty, and then you're playing good quality golf courses off tight lies and hard and fast greens. It's just a matter of, can you put it, do I actually actively work to put it 85, 90 yeah. so I can have a full 58 as opposed to a and I, you know, I'm sawed not off kind of 60, right? You're right. I'm not the kind of guy who's going to go to the range and, and beat balls for an hour. That's just not what I do. If I get 45 minutes to go hit balls, I'm going to hit a majority of shots, 120 yards and in. I'm going to chip for 20 minutes. I always try to make two chips. I, I saw that like in a Rotella book. I want to say somewhere like just make two chips. If you get two in out of your first four, you're done, move on. Mm. And then I like to go putt. Um, that's just really what I like to do because I feel like, you know, I can just get to the course, hit 20 balls or something, get loose, and then go find it in the first couple of holes. So many shots are made, though, 100 yards and in around the greens to where that's going to make or break your round most often. 
So as I've gotten older, I've really started to feel differently and look differently at sunscreen. I don't think anybody wants to get sunburned. I think up to this point, when I was younger, you know, my parents would say, make sure you wear sunscreen, make sure you wear sunscreen. And, and to me, it was all just about preventing getting burned. But now, as I've gotten older, and I realized I went so many years without wearing sunscreen or not reapplying when I could have, I'm starting to see the effects. I'm starting to see sunspots, you know, on my outer cheek, under my eyes. And golfers are really some of the ones that impacted more than anybody because the sun's just beating down on us for four or five hours at a time, you know, and other sports don't last as long. So I think sunscreen is really as important, if not more important for golfers than maybe any sport or activity out there. And so now I think about it differently. You know, I don't want to damage my skin more than it already is. And I'm an ingredient freak, like I've talked about before. So I don't want to throw chemicals on my skin that are going to be harsh and seep into my skin and mess up my internal systems. Okay. So a lot of these sunscreens you guys probably buy at the store, like Banana Boat, Copper Tone Sport, a lot of those sunscreens have been recalled because of the ingredient called benzene and other chemicals that just aren't good. They're not clean. It's not good. I would never put that on my skin. So let me be very clear. I would never bring on a sponsor to this program without vetting them and agreeing that their ingredients are basically Evan and Tara approved, me and my wife. We are ingredient freaks. So our friends at Oars and Alps are back on the train because they have just dropped their best innovation, maybe that they've ever done. I've seen people spray Coppertone Sport and Banana Boat straight in their face. And I cringe because not only is there terrible ingredients, but now you're inhaling them. It gets in your eyes. You might even ingest some of it in your mouth and it's disgusting. So what has Oars and Alps done? They've eliminated the terrible chemicals and they've created a little mini spray that fits in your carry-on and your golf bag that is designed to spray and mist on your face. It's the face mist. This is, I think, what everybody's been waiting for. Something that you can spray on your face. You don't even need to rub it in easy to reapply. And there's no excuse now to not put sunscreen on your face. So go to oarsandalps.com, O-A-R-S-A-N-D-A-L-P-S.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 20% off, and get yourself some sunscreen and protect yourself out there. All right, let's get back to the show. Drew, I'm curious a little bit more about the arm lock and about putting grips and what you were so you've been using this grip for a long time. Was there a moment where you were struggling with your putting? Were you tinkering to change grips, looking for confidence? And what has it done for your mind? I'm fascinated with six feet in because yeah. those are the putts, no matter how good you are, how long you played, you know, that's where you separate them. What a right? great so feeling to be confident the, there, right? right? Yeah. That's so a great, talk uh, about this. Another yeah. great question. I used to have, you know, the I used to putt with the heel shafted Scotty Cameron, like the Delmar. Um, so sure. like the mallet heel shaft. And I and I started going to the claw. I just liked it a little bit better. And when I saw Kucher switch to the arm lock, I was I was fascinated by it. And I bet these videos are still up on YouTube. You can go back to these videos where it's like 2013 and 14 where he first switched to it. And he's talking about just how it activated his big muscles, how he just focuses on his shoulders how it really takes away a lot of the tinkering you might do with your grip or your grip pressure. Or am I getting too wristy? I mean, when you lock that arm lock putter on your, on your forearm and you bring your right hand, cause I use the claw, everything just sets up. You kind of get locked right. into place and you can really just rock and use those, those big muscles. So like six feet and in, 
Um, you know, base, I base up control is so so important. Six feet in, and I'm sure base that's, control is very important. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that people say about arm lock putting is lag putting can be tough sometimes. Like if you're way no out, feel. Yeah. 50, 50 feet, you know those long putts, especially on slick greens, like it can get pretty tough. I've I've got a lot of experience with it now, so I, I feel comfortable in those situations too. But feeling that you have the line right and then just stepping over the ball and everything's locked in. It's a good feeling for me. You know, I, I see Will Zalatoris do it and and obviously he's having some issues with his stroke. Like yeah. if I could say one thing to him and obviously I'm not qualified at all. He takes his putter so far up almost to his elbow joint. And I feel like maybe sometimes that loses a little bit of that control. I have mine about an inch and a half, two inches underneath my elbow joint, like right into my forearm muscle. And I feel like it really anchors in there nice. So if Will's watching, yeah. maybe just tinker with that. Take take an inch or two off the putter, get it into that forearm muscle. Maybe that'll stabilize it a little bit more. That's, Ev, a, that's you, just the feeling yeah. that I like to feel. Ev, have you tinkered with it? Because I'm thinking about other players on tour. Hovland kind of has it near his wrist. Yeah. Um, it has a conventional grip, but there is a lock. I mean, there's such a benefit to, to it. It's fascinating think, Drew, to see where, where you've gone with it. There's just a lot of power with um, having your thing and knowing it's your thing. Yeah. If you're a tinkerer and you like figuring stuff out at all, it's fun to try different things. It's fun to try different grips, but the minute that starts to creep in and you're, you're pulling a fill and you're changing things mid round or one round's this, the next round's that that can get you into trouble. So I, I played around with grips for very long. Now I'm back to conventional and I, I just felt for me, I was just more athletic and less heady, but for you, yeah. when you find your thing, you stick with it. I think that's a great, you know, lesson for anyone out there. Yeah. And I'm not a, I'm not an equipment tinkerer. You know, I'm not, I, I I've had two sets of clubs in the last eight years. Um, I, I had pings for a long time when I was out in Arizona. I got to meet those guys. Um, awesome tour facility out there. I got fitted. And then um, last spring, I switched to Mira's. Shout out to Mira Golf. Oh. Uh, Larry Place is a Georgia grad, and he is now the president of Mira oh. Golf. He linked up with our podcast, Punt and Pass, that I was doing with Aaron Murray at the time. Now I do it with Jake Fromm. And they are under the 8 a.m. golf umbrella. So True oh, yeah. Spec Golf. Mira Golf, Nicholas Companies, Golf Magazine. So Larry sent us to True Spec. We did a whole thing on the podcast about it. We got fitted for Mira's, um, and they're great. I love them. So I'm not an equipment tinkerer. I still got the same driver, three wood rescue. They're all pings. Um, if they work, they work, and th that's just kind of my mo, I guess. My dad got a set of Mira's probably ten years ago, and they're kind of first like specially yeah. ordered. They're a lot more accessible now because of where the brand's gone. But yeah, it doesn't get more beautiful. They're sweet, man. They're sweet. I love them. Well, Drew, let me ask you. We're going to keep going back. We're going to ping pong a bit between yeah, football and golf. Um, but I'm curious, um, as a punter, did you find that your best punts came off when the fenders were almost blocking the kick, barreling down on you versus having a ton of time? Or is it the opposite? In the moment when you kind of get into that flow state, right? Like I was talking about it earlier. It takes two seconds. So if things are happening fast and you got to run out there and all of a sudden the snap, the kick, and you just get it off and you weren't even thinking, you were out there just reacting. Th those punts feel the best. Uh, but as you could probably relate to golf even more so is that you feel like the punts where you just weren't even trying, 
go the furthest. And it's like the same on the golf course. When you tell you, you just like slow it down and think about hitting the center of the club face and then you blast a 300, you're like, what the hell have I been doing? Those, like those are the moments where it just clicks and you're like, it, you just chase that feeling. You chase wanting to do that over and over and over again. Um, and kickers and golfers and punters are, it's the same thing. It's an, it's an imperfect game. And, you know, there are some days where you just don't feel like you have it and your coach will be like, stop kicking because you're just going to ingrain bad habits. I'm sure golfers go through the same thing where, Mm. yeah, you want to dig it out of the dirt sometimes, but uh, it's not worth it if you're going to be putting bad habits into your routine and into your swing. So certainly the reactive nature, you perform better, but the easier you swing, the further it goes. Like it's the same thing, kicking and punting and golf too. So interesting for sure. Drew, I'm fascinated. How do you train your instincts? So when you do get that bad snap, right. Or when you pull hook it into the trees and you're, you're in trouble. Right. And you've got to figure out, you got, you got to be instinctual and then be able to perform. But as a, as a punter, I'm curious, like that separates good from the great, right. Because it's not going to go right. You know, there's going to be a bad snap. The weather's going yeah. to be, or there's going to be an unexpected rush, but you've got to make the right decision to ultimately still kick it, to set your team up. Yeah. And you know, you practice those things. So like you're going to do practice bad ball drill. And of course your snapper is not going to be snapping them to you, but the kicker could be rolling the ball on the ground to you and you got to go react and get it up and get it off. And obviously having that preparation throughout the week just helps you if that does happen in a game, Uh, you practice the wet ball drill too. So like if you're expecting rain on on a game weekend, same thing on a Friday, you're going to be soaking that ball to where it's even so hard to feel it or even grab it, which of course probably wouldn't happen in game, but you're just practicing those moments to know, Hey, I've practiced it. I'm prepared for it. If it happens, it happens. And coach Tomlin, when, when I was in Pittsburgh, you know, he always used to say, we're going to control what we can. Right. And obviously you can't control the weather. So he's like, we're not even going to worry about it. Like that was like his whole thing. We can't control it. So why waste time worrying about it as far as, you know, hell, I played the Steelers in 2015 with the Cardinals um, and I had played a season in Pittsburgh, but we experienced legitimately four seasons in four quarters. Uh, We went out. It was sunny. It was nice and warm. Then it started raining and windy. We come out of that tunnel halftime. It's like sleeting and snowing. And then at the end of the game, it was fall again. I was like, what the hell just happened? But, you know, you can't worry about those things too much and let it take away from your preparation or how you're staying involved in the game because that's when things can really go awry it's like playing golf in the midwest ev you could have yeah, a pretty much. sunny back nine and 80 and it can be yeah. 55 and rainy on the moon. no doubt well, drew speaking of worry i know that in between the full seasons that you played you know nfl is a cutthroat business as we know you had a few times where you were signed by someone and then released a few months later yeah what did that do for confidence? What did that do for self-doubt? Because obviously golf's a confidence and game, right? Yeah. And we all have doubt. So did you struggle with doubt? And how did you overcome that going in and out of different franchises? Yeah, I think it was interesting. You know, I, I played every game my rookie season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I was an undrafted free agent. I thought I had a, a good season uh, for all intents and purposes as a rookie and then started out the next year and won that job and then got cut very fast. I was like, what is going on? You know, you kind of understand uh, the lack of awareness, not in a bad way when you're a rookie, you know, it's bright lights, but you're just in it, man. You just love the game. You, You finally have achieved that dream. You just don't really understand maybe as much as you do three, four, five years into it, you become more aware of your surroundings. You understand how much of a business it is. And 
when you're trying to get back in, especially as a punter or a kicker, there's only 32 jobs. You know, you're not carrying two punters on a roster. So it's very opportunistic. It's it's all about timing. It's about the coaching. It's about the fit that you have with those coaches. You know, and funny enough, I, I got signed by the Chicago Bears. That was great. Tress Way, who's still punting for the Washington Commanders, a buddy of mine. We were up there competing. I had a rookie year under my belt with the Steelers. He hadn't played in the NFL yet. And Joe D. Camillus, who I know really well. I think Joe D's still the team's coach for the Los Angeles Rams. We're up there and we're having a good spring ball, probably right around this same time of the year. And my wife and I had just got married. We were living in an extended stay America in Lincolnshire, Illinois. I do not recommend that if you're newlyweds. <laughs> Interesting choice. Yeah, it was right by the facility. We used to go spend the weekends in the city just to get away and have some yeah. fun. It was the draft weekend, and it was also my birthday. So we went to a comedy show that Friday night. We wake up. We're doing like a boozy brunch at a Mexican place. Like it is my birthday, May 10th. Yeah. Uh, the draft's going on, and I get an alert on my phone that the Bears just drafted Pat O'Donnell. And I was like, oh, because I knew I was getting cut. I was like, that's it. They, got, they have to cut me. They're not going to keep me, and they just drafted Pat in the fifth round or whatever it was. So I looked at my wife. I was obviously pretty down, but I was like, let's enjoy this weekend because we're not going to be in Chicago much longer. And then I got released like a week later, got signed by the Detroit Lions. Again, great coach, understood the assignment, if you want to call it that, when I was in Detroit. Sam Martin, who's the punter there, became a great friend of mine, had a great preseason, got some great tape out there. And then I signed with the Arizona Cardinals and was there for three and a half years. So again, just opportunity, timing, and so, Arizona beats Detroit as far as where you want to spend your time. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. So Drew, talk about, go back to that from the bears to Detroit, you said yep. or, from a mental perspective, is it, man, I know what I need to work on. I need to continue to spend more time on that, or I just need to go out and perform better when the lights are on. Like, yeah, were you taking it personally? You don't have much time. Like what's, where, where was your head at? Like, you know, you, you just want to stay in the game. Like, I think that's the biggest thing, because as, as, as soon as you're out, it's so hard to get back in. So like, yeah, when I was in Chicago under contract, you're like, OK, at least I'm under contract. Then you get cut, sign with Detroit. I'm like, OK, I'm back in the game, right? Like, got to go out there and put good tape out. Got to have a good preseason game. When I get my reps, your reps on the field are going to be so small, right? Because you're punting. You're not getting 50 snaps a game. But knowing in preseason, and it's true, when you're out there pregame, there are 30 other scouts from NFL teams that are at these preseason games. I mean, they're scouting everybody. You want to just perform and be consistent. And then when you had a coach like John Bonamago, who I don't think is coaching anymore, but he was such a great guy, the special teams coordinator for the Detroit Lions at the time. And I got to befriend the assistant special teams coordinator there, Devin Fitzsimmons. You know, they're calling other coaches on my behalf. They're like, Drew's kicking well. Drew's a great, you know, like all those things that can just help you stay in the game. And that was kind of my mindset. Like I need to get one more chance. I need to get one more crack. And then fortunately I got signed by the Cardinals and, you know, I, I thought I had a great time in Arizona. So it was fun. I wish I would have played longer, but um, all good for sure. Okay. So this is good. I want to dig into this because everyone can relate to this, whether it's been a tryout growing up or a golf shot, that means everything, right? You were in this moment and you know, you're going to have what three to five chances yeah. to try and perform. That would be really easy to have really high expectations, get tentative, get tight, or try and do too much, right? Almost the opposite of what you described before with defenders are barreling down on me. It's pure reaction. It's pure instinct. It's pure ability. Did you struggle with that? 
how did you keep those expectations and what it means at bay and perform on what you're trying to do? I think you just always have to go back to the past, like the, go watch the games where you had a lot of success when those moments meant everything, you know, even if it was college tape, even if it was high school tape, uh, sure. rookie season, you know, Hey, you had a great game when the playoffs were on the line or you needed this big punt and you executed to perfection, like just draw back on those great memories, replay them in your head, visualize it. Like that's how I always did it. And it translates to golf now too. You know, going back to the member member I played in last weekend, Sunday morning, fourth match, wasn't feeling too good because we had a fun Friday night. You know, first tee, I put it on the ground. Dude, I hit this thing 150 yards to the right. I mean, I was in my pocket right off the tee. And what do you think the second shootout hole was? It was that same hole, right? Mm. So I would played it earlier in the day. I had shipped it way OB right. And I was like, all right, you know, two weeks ago, I played this hole and I busted it up the left side 280. And you just go out there and you visualize it. You take a practice swing and you go. So I think like as much as you can block out the bad, but even more so just remember those. What did you feel in those good times? What was a trigger or reaction or a swing thought that you had uh, when you were able to perform under the gun? So it sounds like you're drawing on past good experiences, but self-talk. And belief. So even though you might Lots. be feeling the pressure or you might be feeling the doubt, you're reminding yourself, you're you're reinforcing the confidence, which is what honest ironically, LPGA pro Maria Fossi, one of the longest hitters on tour, we interviewed last week at the LPGA event, said the same thing. Um, you just have to you have to almost choose confidence yeah. over doubt. Yeah, uh, you know, one of my favorite authors and a guy who I got to know really well throughout college and I still talk to him is John Gordon. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever had John on the podcast, but I'm sure mm -hmm. he'd do it. He is phenomenal. And he has the books like The Coffee Bean, which I'm sure you know what The Coffee yeah. Bean is, right? You know, you can you can impact your, the environment that you're in, much like a coffee bean does to water, uh, but also The Positive Dog, which is another great book that he has. And you can read these books like in a day. They're so easy and you get so many good nuggets out of it. But he always talks about feed the positive dog. Like there are two dogs inside you, a negative dog and a positive dog. You, you can feed that negative dog and man, it will just eat you alive. Or you can choose to feed the positive dog and just keep – it's a lot of self-talk. It's a lot of self-positivity that elite athletes have it in spades, man. I mean, and there's nobody better at it in kicking than Justin Tucker. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Justin mm. Tucker, Baltimore Ravens, I think he's the greatest kicker of all time. He's my age. He's undrafted. When you watch this kid kick footballs – he is unbelievable. He's not going anywhere. All the money he has and makes, he deserves more. Uh, he's an absolute stud. So I know that's what he does, and it, and it shows on game day for sure. So I went to a golf event recently and realized that if I go to a golf event that doesn't do this, I don't think it'll ever live up. I don't think it'll ever be good enough, okay? Olakai had us out in Orange County for their launch event, and they did the coolest thing. They set up a pop-up shop and everyone who attended the event got to go shopping and pick out a free pair of shoes. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. Now you should have heard everybody talking throughout the event, how comfortable these shoes were, how they're their favorite shoes they've ever worn. There are so many different styles, whether you want kind of a traditional, cool, clean, white leather look that can cross over to off the course, or if you want something a little bit more athletic and different materials and trail looking shoe. 
they got it all. Okay. I started wearing sandals, Olakai sandals, the, really the only sandals that can fit my wide flat feet. My buddy called them flappers growing up. Olakai were the only leather flip-flops I could ever wear. I love them. They're so comfortable. And they even make golf flip-flops now. Yes, that's right. Flip-flops you can wear to the pool while also there's little tracks underneath that'll keep you stable if you want to go out there wearing flip-flops on the golf course. Aloha golf is a real thing. It's right in line with enjoy the ride and everything we're about. So tap the link in our show notes or link to our bio on Instagram at the par train. If you tap that link, you can get yourself free shipping on any Olakai golf shoe. I'm telling you, people were blown away by how comfortable these shoes were. Everybody looked good. Everybody felt good. Hopefully one day you'll be able to make it to one of those events too, because it was pretty sweet. I'll say so. Tap that link in our show notes or on our bio on Instagram at Partrain. Get yourself free shipping. Let's get back to the show. Drew, I love when you talk about visualization. It strikes me that obviously this is an important technique, tactic you've used as a kicker and a punter and then as a damn good golfer. So maybe walk us through a little bit how you visualize, maybe a little bit about your pre-shot routine and you know, and how that connects from punting and playing in a big money member guest, because I think this is a topic that people are struggle with of, of mm-hmm. how to, how to visualize, how to understand it. Yeah. You know, uh, some guys, like I know Keegan Bradley did it. I think Jason day even did it. And I'm a golf nut. I mean, I watch every swing on the PGA tour pretty much every weekend, but you see what guys start doing. And Jason day, a couple of years ago, I think kind of before he started going down, he's on a great upturn now, which is great to see, but yeah. you kind of take that deep breath behind the ball and his eyes would be close and he'd literally be visualizing where he wants this ball to go or how he's going to swing. Keegan Bradley was doing it the same way. I've worked with Dr. Brett McCabe. You guys have had him on the podcast. Yeah, He's a big proponent of that as well. Like literally close your eyes and visualize what the ball is going to do after you hit it or close your eyes and visualize how you want your swing to be. I'm big on keeping it very, very simple too. I did it in football. I do it in golf. So for example, if my kicking was kind of going sideways while I was in college and my dad who, you know, college football hall of fame kicker would come up, I would tell him, just give me one thing. Like just one thing. I don't want to hear 10 things. I don't want to hear two things. Give me one thing to work on. Sometimes it'd be shorten up your steps. Sometimes it'd be alignment. Other times it'd be your drop. It's the exact same thing in golf, right? Uh, I've yeah. got some guys who have really helped me in the past with my swing and I'll go to them and say, I don't even need a 30 minute lesson. Give me a 10 minute lesson. Tell me one thing to do. Oftentimes it's your grip. Oftentimes <laughs> it's your alignment. Sometimes it's get your takeaway a little bit slower. And those things just make you, when you focus on one thing for me, focus on one thing, kind of let that be your trigger and then just go. I think that can help every golfer out there when you're trying to think about 10 different things or like, you know, club pro guys, seven, four, seven technique, like that's hilarious because it's true. It's true. Right, so yeah. many people think about a million things during their swing and it's just paralysis by analysis. I try to stay away from that as much as possible. So Drew, you've kind of talked about it and I can feel our listener like on the edge of their seat being like, okay, this guy's a three, 2.9 index, you know, and he's making all these horse races. We got to dig into what he's doing <laughs> in these member guests. But before we dig into each member guest, because I think there's probably going to be a ton of good stuff there. I want you to answer these two quick questions. Yeah. Okay? I play my best golf when? I play my best golf when I get off the tee. 
right? If I can get it in play and I'm, I'm not having to worry about like getting a fairway finder out there, or if I get hesitant with my tee ball, which can easily happen, that frees me up because then I can take confident swings off the tee. I know my ball is going to be in play and I'm just good to go. It kind of puts me in the right mindset. So I definitely play my best golf when I get off the tee. And what about mentally? I play my golf when? I play my best golf when I'm mentally free, relaxed, like not even really, I guess when I'm mentally engaged with your playing partners, having fun, trying to enjoy yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously there's a time and a place to really get locked in, but mentally free. And not, that's not to say that I'm like not reading putts or uh, that I'm, that I'm not looking at my distance or yardage, but I mentally, if I get my yardage, Hey, it's 145, give me the wedge. And I go up there and just swing it. Like that's when I feel best when I just get to go out there and have fun. You're not constantly, it's that balance of you got to evaluate the the golf shot and your options, but not overdoing it. Right. It's easy to do. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. On the flip side, Drew, from the mental side, I play my worst golf when. Great question. I, I play my worst golf when I get angry and I try not to get angry, right? Mm. Like I'm not, I always tell myself, I'm not a good enough golfer to throw clubs. I'm not a good enough golfer to beat myself up. Do I cuss at myself? I mean, absolutely I do. Do I get frustrated? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, don't let a bogey turn into another bogey. Like that's huge for me. Like dust it off, go out there, make a par, get back on the, get back on the train and just make sure that you can just keep it going. Because if you let a bad hole turn into three bad holes, then it's over, man. I'm no stranger to doubles, but you got to make a birdie after you make a double. Like that's my whole name of the game. So I try to keep that in perspective as well. Okay. So then knowing that as context of you as a player, I'm sure there's been plenty of listeners who have been playing well, hitting the ball well at the range, going to an event, whether it's a member guest, a local tournament, a college event, whatever it is. And then they get to the big show, the member guest in this case, and it's like they'd never picked up a club before. Yeah. Right. You've made a lot of horse races and these big, you know, there's a lot of athletes there, a lot of people you would know. Let's use Whisper Rock as an example, right? Walk us through the keys to your week. Walk us through the keys to playing well when the lights are on. And and playing well with your teammate. Maybe, yeah, maybe a yeah shot that's a big part here. of it. But that's the chemistry there is huge. Yeah. yeah. You know, two things I love doing. One, competing. And two, having fun. Uh, and that's the best part of a member guest and member member weekend. So knowing that I'm going to go in there and have fun. I'm going to go in there and compete. Uh Sean McDonough, the ESPN broadcaster, who is an all-time legend. He was my partner, uh, member guest, Whisper Rock. Uh, He's the member there. Great putter. I mean, a great putter. And Sean's about a 10, 12 handicap. But we feed off each other so well in those environments because I like to go out there, and my goal is just make pars, right? Like, par is your friend. You don't have to fire at pins. Fairway green, two putt. Like, that's my whole name of the game. And then maybe a putt drops. You get a birdie. Or say you miss a green, you get up and down, you start feeling good. Eighth hole, you have a really good approach shot. Maybe you want to go fire at a pin, right? It's like building up that confidence, playing just consistent golf is so key. This past weekend in the member member, we won an extraordinary amount of holes with pars. And that's Mm -hmm. demoralizing to your competition. Uh, It makes you feel good because you feel like you're not chasing anything, but you don't have to go out there and birdie every hole. I think a lot of times maybe other golfers who get to that big moment feel like they got to go out there and shoot the course record. 
that's just not the case, especially not in match play, right? So, like, go make pars and let your opponent make the first mistake and then go out there and just wear them out by making pars. Hell, you could even win some holes with bogeys. You'd be amazed at to, as to what can happen throughout a long weekend. So not pressing is big for me, especially as just, like I said, get it off the tee, feel good, middle of the green, and then try to just go make some putts. So, so you're not really looking be my at the biggest, opponent. Yeah, I, I mean, not really because – yeah, we'll see where they're at when we get up to the green, right? So much can happen. So right. I would and never try to dictate how I'm going to play a hole or play a match based on the guys that we're about to go up against. And Drew, what you just described is essentially the recipe for individual golf, right? And yeah, yeah, it's just let the golf course come to you. Just get your mind on center of the green. See who you are today and. And, and keep, be amazed, and, I mean, how, how many times the expectations, you, right? How many times has, has anybody listening or, or either of you guys, you know, you fire at a pin from 140 yards away. It looks like it's leaning on the flag stick. Then you drive up in the cart and you're 20 feet away. You're like, after oh, a damn. great drive too. Yes. And you rip but the then, second shot, but you've mismanaged it. Right. On the flip side, how many times have you just tried to hit a green and then you hit the center and it takes a slope and now you're four feet away. You're like, yeah. wow, I wasn't even aiming there. 100%. Uh, like that. I think that's kind of the mindset to where, man, just go get it on the green and see what happens. That's 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 big for me. You know what else is that I really want to make sure our listeners picked out of what you just said, Drew, which, sir, we haven't really talked explicitly about that. I just realized I played in a charity tournament earlier this week and I, I was reminded of it. So let's let's put an emphasis on this point. Drew, you kind of said something like start out trying to hit fairways and trying to hit greens, right? Fattest part of the fairway, fattest part of the green. We've heard that from a ton of pros. But then maybe on hole eight, you're starting to get into a rhythm. Yeah. And you've got an opportunity and you take it. Now, I think the important part of that is you are giving yourself room to get into a rhythm. I've started to realize about my game. I start almost every round the same. I'm tentative. I, I kind of need to get into a rhythm, right? And it takes yeah. me a little bit. And then by the middle of the round, I'm smashing driver, I'm hitting nice flighted draws, you know, at, you know, at the middle of the green, but I'm like at the beginning of the round that felt impossible. So there's also a huge key here of like, give yourself permission to ease in and have enough self-belief and trust that you will find a rhythm at some point, let yourself get into the rhythm and then play the game that shows up for you that day. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. I think it was a Jordan Spieth quote. He said golf, an individual round of golf, 18 holes, is essentially like three six-hole trends. He says six holes, you're not going to have it. Six holes, you're going to be on cruise control. And then six holes, you're going to feel really good. You just got to know when those times are. So like, if you know that holes one through six for you, you're kind of on defense, but you can manage to get around in a couple over – Okay, well, then maybe the next six holes, you hit a great shot on seven. You're like, this is it. I'm going to go, you know, couple under in this stretch. And then on 13, you tee off and you're like, cruise control, man. I'm going to go make pars. This is a great round. I'm feeling it. I always go back to that sometimes, like in an individual match, that those six holes are going to come, man. How do you manage the six holes where it's not working? How do you manage the six holes where everything feels okay? And then how do you really take advantage of the six holes where you know it's your time to shine? And when you know this is part of the gig, part of the round, it really dials your emotions back. Yeah. Right? Big time. As, a, as opposed to like, 
I mean, well, What's I got that bad thing? break or, you know, I've, I've been making these bets. It's just like these things happen to the best players like Jordan Speed. Yeah. And, you know, it's always better to be lucky than good. That, like <laughs> That's just a fact, right? Like, hey, if I know I got a shitty bounce, then hopefully the next time it's going to kick into the middle of the fairway. Like you yeah, just absolutely. have to expect that and understand that golf ebbs and flows so much. That's the beauty of the game. It's an imperfect game. Like that's why we always play. And whether you shot the round of your life or shot the worst round, the only thing you want to do is go play again. That's the, that's the best part about it. How do you get the most out of your partner, Drew? I was and just going to. How does your partner get the most out of you? Because this is a huge thing yeah. that we constantly get requests on to do more episodes on is team dynamic. And communication or the do's and don'ts or yeah. Yeah. Communication's big. You know, I, I like for my partner to expect the most out of me. Like I, I just, that that's what I appreciate. Right. So like practice round, um, we'll go back to that whisper rock member, member guest that I got to play in practice round. I played awful, you know, but I had been in Atlanta all winter long uh, playing off dormant Bermuda. And then I go out to Arizona and it's just perfection. Looks like Augusta national out there. And I'm really not hitting the ball well. I'm like, damn, okay, tomorrow morning, I said, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to spend 30 minutes chipping on the chipping green just to feel it, right? I'm going to spend 20 minutes. So I got there super early, and I just, like, got the feels right, okay? Now I'm out there, and I'm like, hey, tell me when to go at it. Oftentimes, we'll switch it up. Like, do you want to go first off the tee, or do you want me to go first? If that starts working, we stick with it. If we lose a hole, hey, man, switch it up. I'll go first next time. Like, those team dynamics of how to, like, rub off a bad hole, or, hey, if we're in a match play, like pick your ball up, man. Come help me out. Like get your mind right. I'm I'm big on that too. Just to, yeah. you know, why go over and drop two balls and try to hack it out of the trees or the desert when that's just going to make you even more frustrated? Like we don't need to do that. Like pick that. up. I got this hole. I'll make a par, and then you get a fresh start on the next hole. So like, I think just managing those moments in any team dynamic of a of a match tournament weekend member 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 guest whatever it might be like go in there one to have fun support your partner uh and then two like ask him what's going to help you perform better do you want me to go hit it in the fairway so you can go get after it on this par three do you want me to just go middle of the green so you can go fire at the pin like i just like having that communication to set the expectation of how you can win the most amount of holes i love that i think it's communication too to pick each other up because yeah, I've time. been in so many scenarios where the pressure actually, it's about the match. Yes, it's easy to press because in match play, the situation is right in front of you, right? Every time. And it's really easy to, to get caught up in that versus stroke. You never know what's going to unfold. You can start slow, have a hot you know finish, yeah. et cetera. But I also think it's important that you can really get bogged down with feeling like you're letting your partner down. Oh yeah. More so yeah. than trying to perform in the match. And that gets right? in the way. And that's a huge way to bog yourself down and create even more unnecessary tension. I know I've done that many times with my partner and vice versa. That's why you always have to set the rule of you're not allowed to say, I'm sorry. Right. Yep. Like we always say that can't say I'm sorry. Right. Like right. I don't care if you made double, I don't care if you made double and I made triple and we both lost all we're not saying sorry to each other. Right. right. Like, and if they do say, sorry, you go, I ah, can't say that. Right. So like you, you have fun with it. You make sure that you don't have that overly amount of pressure on your partner, but there's no better feeling than ham and egg in it. Right. And say, you know, you shot 
five over and your partner shot four over yet you won the match one up like you mm -hmm. just timed up the holes best you supported each other whatever it is being there and just knowing hey if one guy's not playing well i gotta pick it up and and having that in the back of your mind i think helps tremendously and never say sorry that helps too drew and i think what, what i've heard from you what probably really helps you maybe if you're missing a few missed a few short putts is just hit the fairway just keep hitting greens yeah, it's gonna come, but that it's hard to remember, guess like Evan said, because you just get this weight of pressure and partner. But like having that trigger to remind yourself, well, I just just get back to doing what I know how to do. Yeah, I mean fairways and greens, fairways and greens, fairway. Like obviously, it's so easy to say that. Like I'm not saying that yeah. that's just gonna happen every single time. But going back to that positive self talk, that visualization, and look, I don't care if it's a, a hybrid off the tee to get it in the fairway. Like that is what I'm talking about when I say hit a fairway, right? Because as you know, especially in some of those courses up in the Midwest, man, dude, if you're four yards off the fairway, you're screwed. Like it's a true yeah. penalty shot. You have to punch out. You got no way to reach the green. So take less than driver, get it in the fairway, and then just assess the next shot. Try to get it on the green go make a putt. Like that is how you, I feel like you can simplify the game um, and just allow yourself to take a deep breath in those moments. So let's do this live, Drew. I know we're almost at time. Serm and I are planning our first team event together okay. this weekend in Scottsdale at the True Links <laughs> event, Duel in the Desert. Where's and it at? What course is it at? It's at Whirlwind Golf Club. Okay, yeah. I, I used to live right by Whirlwind. Oh, no okay. way. I think yeah. Devil's, Devil's Claw, I think. Yeah, Devil's Claw. And then the other one is... Um, yeah, there's another course there too. How is it? Devil's Claw is a great track. Oh yeah, great yeah. spot. Wild Horse is a fun little uh, resort casino out there. The courses are always in great shape. I literally lived two exits away from from that golf course. You guys are gonna have a blast. That'll be awesome. It's, it's so what's timing. the so what's the key for us, sir? I think what I'm hearing from Drew is you got to have a good time. That's got to be priority one. Because yes. if you yeah. get bogged down in the competition, it's not gonna help you. Yeah. Here's and my here's my here's my tip for you guys. Okay, will you get a practice round? I'm assuming. No, I don't know if don't you will or so. not. We're not. So. so we're fine. We're kind of, we're kind of, we fly in Drew. We not only fly in, we go straight to a live podcast. Okay. I love that. And then we go straight in. So we might not even be able to warm up Drew, because you, we're doing a, we're broadcasting live and then going right into our match. But Drew, Dude, if we love do it. Get so, to so warm devil's up, claw and cattail are the two courses yeah. to keep going. Yeah. But Drew, if we do get to warm up, Okay. Yeah, what should we do? Chip and pitch? So here's what I want you to realize. <laughs> um, in those desert courses, because these are two desert courses, visually they're demanding. They really are. Especially, you know, I know you're out in LA, Evan, and, and Serms in, in Chicago, but go to the middle of the fairway, right, after your first couple of holes and look back at the tee and tell yourself and make sure you understand how much fairway is out there, okay? Because mm. the fairways are wide, man. You just can't see it. That's the mm. biggest thing. All you see is cactus and, and deserts and brush and bushes. So your eyes start going there. But if you tell yourself, hey, man, there's 85 yards of fairway out there, right? Like here's what the distance is to that 85 yards of fairway. Now you're not having to focus on strictly target golf off the tee. You're more so, hey, get me my club that goes 270 to 280. I'm going to go out there and I can fade it. I can draw it. I can peel it a little bit. If I hit it a little bit off the heel, it's going to be in the fairway. So when you start driving around after those first couple of holes, just go to the middle of the fattest part of the fairway and you're like, damn, there's a lot of fairway here. You just can't see it off the tee. I think that'll really kind of help you settle in uh, off the tee big time. You know what I like, Evan, what might be maybe our quote? 
you know, there's some room over there. You know, we got, we, <laughs> there is. You know, we got some room there. So go, man, yeah. you know, go ahead and rip it. You know, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to be shooting some video content too, which will be another layer. But hey, if we treat it like that and we're just creating content, that could also be a great way to just let's compete. We're both competitors, right? But let's, you know, lean into what we do best and let's pick each other up. Let's have a great time. Let's create some fun content for people to follow along with. Leave it at that. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. And I guarantee you good golf will follow if you guys go in with that mindset for sure. It would be cool though, sir. I'll say this before we let you go, Drew. We are going to do a live podcast after the first day with dinner where we're interviewing the leaders and we're interviewing cool. the last place team. I love it. And trying to it. find the differences. It would be cool if the leaders are already up there, sir. And it's us. Yeah. That would be well, cool. That, that would be and cool. We know who to, we know who to thank for getting yeah. this like to a good start. <laughs> I like that idea for sure. You guys so are having Drew, a great time. I'm jealous because Whirlwind's a really cool facility. Awesome. That's well, great. Drew, before we let you go, and for people that want to follow you, it is at Drew Butler. Yep. And also the Punt Pass podcast. Follow them That's right. with uh, Jake Fromm if you guys want to dive more into um, the world of football, among other things. But um, before we let you go. What is something that maybe we didn't talk about that you think the average golfer should know or could benefit from? Or what is something we talked about today that you really want to hammer home and reiterate for someone to take away? You know, just for everybody listening, I think it's so easy in golf to see the guy at your club who's playing the best or play with the guy who rips it 300 plus off the tee or watching the guy who just got a new putter and all of a sudden he's making everything. Uh, you cannot go chase after something that's not in your DNA or, or not in your arsenal. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I went into a football game and the other punter was stronger than me, had a better average than me, could do things that I couldn't do. And I would just have to remind myself, go play your game, man. Like go out there. You're here for a reason. Focus and lean on the things that got you up to this point. And it's so similar in golf, right? Like I'm not the longest hitter at the club. I am far from the most consistent player at the club, but there are some weeks where I feel like, dude, I can get up and down from everywhere. Right. So like, I'm going to go out there, just stay in the game, try to get up and down as much as I can. There are other weeks where I feel like I'm putting it lights out. I'm going to stay in the game. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try to make some putts, stick with what got you to where you are, like figure out what it is that allows you to think that you're a good golfer. Cause that's really all that matters. And then double down on those things. You don't have to go buy the new driver. You don't have to try the new swing tip. You don't have to switch the putter. Just focus on what you know you do best and kind of block out all the other noise. Uh, and that's the beauty of golf, man. You have to put the T in the ground and then you're going to see who's better that specific day. Sure, I love it. I was going to say double down on your strengths, right? Yeah. Don't absolutely. be so worried about the weaknesses. We all have them, right? But there's absolutely. things you're, you're good at and focus on that. One of my buddies um, here who played in the NFL, he was an offensive lineman. He's lost 65 pounds. He's down to a mid-single-digit handicap. He's one of my very close friends. I'll go up to the club, and, man, he'll be sweating on the range. Like, man, I've been out here beating balls for like an hour and a half. I'm like, why? I'm like, go chip and putt. You are striping the ball right now. Go chip and putt for an hour. Like, that's where you're going to go from a five to a zero. So like I always, because I don't really like, I told you that earlier, I don't really like hitting balls that much. I'd rather just go chip and putt and get the feels down and double down on those strengths because, you know, a lot can happen in 18 holes and a lot can happen in nine holes as well. Well, Drew, awesome. it also makes me think play offense. 
You yeah. Know, so it's really easy to go out at this event and play tentative, try not to mess up, tell yourselves, well, we just can't make doubles. What's that going to lead to? Doubles. Doubles. Right? Oh my God. So let's go we play like, offense. We don't like doubles. Let's play our game. <laughs> Yeah, you cannot have the negative, again, the negative self-talk. Don't miss left. Don't miss left. Don't miss left. Then what are you going to do? Man, you're going to snap hook it left. Like, that's what happens. If you say, hit it to the fat part of the fairway, hit it to the fat part of the fairway, hit it to the positive self-talk. Talk yourself into doing those things, not talk yourself out of doing the bad things. That's it. Love it. That's it. Well, Drew, thanks for hopping aboard, my man. This was great. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, you guys are awesome, um, man. Thanks for the invite. Great and to yeah, see we'll you, have Drew. to do this again sometime. Does Jake golf, by the way? Jake golfs a little bit. You know, he's with the Washington Commanders still. So yeah. I tried to see if he could play the other week, but he's um he's already up at uh spring training, I guess you could call it that OTAs and the like. So got it. Got yeah, it. Man. All right, sweet. Well, we'll have to have you back at some point. And uh thanks again for hopping aboard, my man. This was fun. Absolutely. Thank you Thank guys. You. Appreciate it. Hey guys, this is Evan. Real quick before you hop off the train, I got something for you. It's called The Train of Thought. It's our new email newsletter. Would you like to get one nugget, insight, or thought that we're pondering every week that could help keep you sharp and help your mental game? Go to thepartrain.com and subscribe to The Train of Thought newsletter today. It's really the best way to enjoy the ride. See you guys.